On this week's episode of I Believe Now What, we are going to go over Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And this episode is meant to complement what we talked about the previous episode when we covered Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. This is the entire reason of why Paul said what he said in verses 31 through 39, and I believed this really needed its own attention and its own section on the podcast. Well, with all that being said, I hope you were edified by this, and I hope you enjoy it. God bless. Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? What is going on, everybody? I hope you all are having a wonderful week out there. If this is your first time listening, I Believe Now What is a show where we really just talk about the now what that comes after you say I believe. So whether you are a brand new Christian or a seasoned Christian, I welcome you to come learn and grow with us. So with all that being said and done, if you heard from the intro, uh, we did an episode last week on Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 31 through 39, and in that, we had to touch up on what was said in verses 28 through 30 of that same chapter. So really in this episode, I, I believe this really needed its own attention because this has a lot of deep truths. And I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, with different controversies and different types of theologies, this message could be offensive to some. And I'm okay with that because God's Word can be offensive. But we need to read the Bible for what it says, as it is, and we just don't need to question God. There's some things in our mind that we are going to read, and we're going to be like, I don't understand. And then we pray for God. We pray for understanding to God. And sometimes God makes us wait a real long time before we get that understanding. And some things we won't even truly know until we're in heaven. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at the end, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, referring to heaven, face to face. Then we will fully know at that point in time, just as we are currently fully known now. And obviously I paraphrased that last part, but that's essentially what it's talking about. We're not going to know everything there is to know in this life, but we can rest assured that God has a plan, God has a purpose, and that purpose rests with him, and we can trust that. One day we will understand. So if I had to title this episode something, you probably already seen it before you clicked on it, but I haven't figured it out yet in my own mind. But I believe I'm going to call this Eternally Secure in God's Purpose. And yes, we are going to talk about the very fact that we are secure in Christ. The very fact that if you are a true believer in Christ, you will never lose your salvation. And some people, if you, if you do not believe in this, please, by all means, I encourage you to stick around and stay and just at least hear me out. And then you can write to us, argue us all you want on why you think we're wrong. But just for a minute, open up your heart to this. You know, this is a common practice that I often do when I'm trying to study viewpoints that I don't agree with. I'll sit down, I'll watch the videos, I'll listen to the sermons, I'll read the books, and I'll try to see from their point of view, exercise some empathy, and try to gain a better understanding. This is how we grow, and this is how iron sharpens iron. Now, with all that being said, let's go ahead and jump into these verses and why it is so important for us as Christians to know that we are secure, eternally secure, in God's purpose. Let's go ahead and read the verses. So the verses start off in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for the good, for them who love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, 
whom he did predestine, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. All right. So verse 28, let's go ahead and jump into this. At before. Let's go ahead and do some prayer, and we're going to jump into this. Dear Lord, please just open our hearts and minds as we read through this and study through this, uh, that we just get rid of our preconceived notions and just read your word for what it says, Lord. Thank you so much for everything that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Your will alone. Amen. So as we read through verse 28, this is probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. You hear it all the time. It's on bumper stickers. Uh, as one of the elders in my old church once pointed out to me, that many actually leave out half of that verse. And to make it even worse, uh, you know, at one point in time, I did a sermon search based on these three verses. Uh, and honestly, the rest of the three verses, because they're all meant to build off each other, verses 28, 29, and 30, 28 and, or 29 and 30 often get left out, and nobody ever tries to explain it. I, I watched a sermon by David Jeremiah, and I'm not knocking on him. I don't know too much about him. Uh, I've never seen anything crazy from him. But he had a message where he talked about Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30, and uh, if I remember correctly, he only talked about verse 28, and I think he may have lightly touched on 29 and 30, but it was like one of those last minute, you know, there's a minute left to go before the sermon ends, and didn't really explain any of it. And that's a problem. As Christians today, we need to explain everything. This is why I'm such a big proponent of going through the Bible verse by verse and understanding the verses. We don't skip the tough stuff. We don't skip the controversial stuff that some people see in order to appease some. So today we are not going to shy away from what the Bible says, and we're going to preach it, because just as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is given by inspiration, or better translated as God-breathed, and it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, training, and righteousness. So I want to give you the main takeaway right away from this message before we even really get into it, and that is we are secure in Christ, those Christians, people who believe. This is important because as Christians, we do not need to live in fear because we honestly know what happens at the end of this earthly life and that we are going to be with God. And sadly also, we need to preach this because some out there will try and tell you that you can lose your salvation as a Christian. And us as Christians have the duty to defend and show them in Scripture where they may be misled or wrong, or maybe they're not understanding Scripture correctly. That's usually where it is. You know, the, the, a lot of people who will vehemently defend the fact that you can lose your salvation, they do read Scripture, and they do see verses that seem like it points to it. But once you place those verses in their proper context, you understand that it was actually talking about something different. What I mean by context is not just reading the one verse, but reading the verse that comes before it and comes after it. Now, one thing I want to touch up on, as I said in the beginning, one of the elders pointed out to me, verse 28, that people often leave out half of that verse. They'll read, they'll read off, and we know that God works all things together for the good for uh, those who love God. Or actually, even worse, sometimes they say, well, and we know that God works all things together for the good, and that's where they stop. And while that's true, that's a half-truth because they're leaving out the rest of the verse, and that may lead to deceive some people that everything is going to be good 
all the time. And that's not what this verse is saying. It's going to work together. God is going to work these things together for the good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Those are very key. Those who love God and who are called according to God's own purpose, not our own purpose. So as I said, the main takeaway here is we are secure in Christ. That's the main takeaway that I want to really just blatantly say out of this. We're secure in Christ. And sadly, as I said, some people will try to say that we aren't secure in Christ, that we can lose our salvation, that we can sin our way out of God, that we can, that God's blood is not good enough to cleanse us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. So like I said, our duty is to defend this here. And once again, for the people that are listening that may believe that you can lose your salvation, I I challenge you, stick here, listen to this, listen to what I have to say. And if, if you still disagree afterwards, which I'm sure most will, because it usually takes a while for things to sink in for everybody, I know myself included, by all means, please write me, write this podcast. You can find us at IBNW podcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just type in the name and you'll be able to find it and let us know. Let us know what you think. And I'll go through and I'll respond. I'm very good with responses. So honestly, though, what I want to say is for those who do believe you can lose your salvation, we, we, we need to pray for these people. We need to pray for these people. I've had many conversations and debates over this topic with people. Uh, churches that I belong to, where some people in the congregation actually believe this. Many conversations spent out at night until midnight, you know, in the church parking lot just talking about this. And I can say a number of things on what I think the root of this is, but honestly, I truly believe it could be summed up in this. Those who believe, and this is kind of a blanket statement, it's a shotgun statement, so if the shoe fits, wear it, wear, wear it, but do some self-examination. Those who believe that we can lose our salvation subconsciously have some belief that they were responsible for it. And in that essence, it makes some sense on why they would think that. If you believe that you were responsible for your salvation, if you believe that you had to do something for your salvation, even just saying a prayer or uh, the act of stepping out that you had to kind of extend your hand to reach to the hand that was extended to you— then of course you can have this belief that we could lose our salvation because you had to play a part of that. You can take your hand away. You can do some of this. But when we read the verses that we're going over today, I want us to see that we honestly had just as much, I'm going to steal a line from John MacArthur here, uh, we have just as much to do with our being born again as we did being born into the world. In other words, we aren't responsible for it. This is a thing of God. And I am confident that there is absolutely nothing that I could have ever done to earn my salvation. Henceforth, there is nothing I could ever do to lose it. Now, I know many have walked away, and some would walked away from the faith. You see it in the news all the time. Just look at Christian news, pastors walking away, worship leaders walking away, just regular people that you may have come across in church walking away from the faith. Some people like to label this as the deconstruction movement or whatever the case may be. At the end of the day, they're walking away from the faith. And some would point out and say, look, that's losing your salvation. This person says they no longer believe. But when we go into the Bible and we read 1 John 2.19, 
it honestly throws that argument out the window because what he says there, he says, starting in verse 19, they went out from us because they were not really of us. For have they been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out. So it would be shown that they are not of us. In other words, a true Christian perseveres in the faith and continues to the end. And those who walk away were never actually saved in the first place. And this all rests back on a foundation of believing that Christ was the one responsible for your salvation, and Christ is the one who can keep you saved and keep you persevering in the faith. And I want to be very clear when I say the word persevere in the faith, because sometimes you hear the word or the symbol, once saved, always saved, get thrown out there. And honestly, I don't like that phrase, because it makes people believe that they can do whatever they want, sin as much as they want, have no real change in their life, and that they're still saved. I don't believe that. I truly believe if you are saved, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, as 2 Corinthians talks about, that being a new creation, we are born again of the Spirit, and because we're born again of the Spirit, this is going to cause us to believe, to repent, and our lives will continue to change through the process of sanctification in a more and more godly way, just as it talks about earlier in Romans chapter 8, that we are going to be conformed more and more into the image of His Son. I said earlier, sorry, later in verse 29, which we're about to go over, this is what's going to happen. We are going to be more and more conformed into the image of a son. This is a mark of a true Christian. And this may be some hard truths for some people out there. This is why the Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, examine yourself. Make sure you are of the faith. Make sure that you are changing. Look at your life now and look at your life when you first profess belief in Christ. Do you see a difference? Obviously, if you're a day-old Christian, you know, you're going to need a little bit more time there to go ahead and see this. Maybe in some cases you don't. Some people change instantly. Other people, it's a process over time. I don't want it to think it's a one-step, every, you know, one-glove-fits-all type thing. It's not. All right, with all that introduction being laid, let's go ahead and start looking at our verses, and we'll start at verse 28. It says here, and we know that all things work together for the good to them who love God, but not just to them, them who are called according to his purpose. So loving God and called according to his purpose. And honestly, some of that is interchangeable because if you're called according to his purpose, you're going to love God. If you love God, it's because you're called according to his purpose. And I'm talking about a real love, a love that only God can see and define. I'm not one of those people that will go out and say, you don't really love God, you're not really a Christian, because I don't know the heart. I don't know where someone is in sanctification. I can go out and say, hey, brother, sister, whatever the case may be, your actions are not lined up with what the gospel is, but that by no means uh, am I going to tell them you are not a Christian because of X, Y, and Z. Now let me highlight a few things in verse 28, and we kind of hit up some of them already, but this verse is for the Christian. Paul was writing to the Christian. Uh, as I pointed out earlier in this quote, some people will leave this verse, uh, parts of this verse out, especially the last part, those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Number two, this verse is given for our assurance that God is in control and that God is with us because we are called by him. And number three, some will mistake this thinking that all things are going to be good, and I alluded to that earlier, when we know that's not true. Many verses talk about suffering for Christ's sake, hardships, trials that, that we have to overcome. 
But we can rest assured, like a diligent blacksmith creating a beautiful, effective sword, God is using all things for the good in our lives, even if we cannot see the full picture. And I really think the blacksmith analogy is a good analogy for this. If you didn't know, a blacksmith is someone who will create various things out of metal. When a blacksmith is making a sword, he's not simply just handed a clean piece of amazing metal and then goes to work. No, he's usually given various types of ugly, rough metals. And he has to take these different metals, blend them together, put them under intense heat, beat out the impurities, shape it, cool it down, repeat, repeat the process over and over and over again until an amazing, strong, shiny, and sar- sharp sword, sorry, my words, sharp sword is created. This is what God does. He, in his divine providence, will take all of it, all the stuff in our lives, the good, the bad, and he will take that, work on it, beat out the impurities, sharpening that iron, sharpening that steel, whatever type of metal that you want to picture in your head. I'm sorry, I'm not a blacksmith uh, expert, but he will beat all of that out and work it for our good. See, we may not see the full picture now, but once we're in heaven, just like we talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. You see, we cannot see it now. We cannot see the good and may even ask at times, how can, how can any good come from this? A horrible situation in life, you know, a, a, a child is killed, somebody is murdered, war happens. How could any good come from this? And as Paul said right here, as if we're looking through a mirror and it's clouded and dirty and dark, but on that glorious day when we're in heaven, and we see our Lord, Jesus Christ, we will know the good. And we will know that all the heartache, the pain, and the tears were worth it all. We may not be able to see the big picture now, but rest assured, it's because God is the one who is painting that picture. We may only see the speck, or another way to put it, as I always say, we always tend to look at the tree right in front of our face, but God can see the forest because he's the one who planted it. To enforce our security in Christ even more, the Apostle Paul then gets much more specific in verses 29 through 30. He says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestine, he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. And that's where we picked up last week where we said, What are we going to say to these things? This passage right here is one of the most highly argued over passages in Christianity, and honestly, I have no idea why. This passage is meant to give us comfort. It's meant to give us assurance, assurance that if you call yourself a Christian and you truly believe that Christ is Lord and that God rose him from the dead, then you are his. You are saved. You are secure in Christ. One of the big problems that so many people have with the doctrine of election, because that's what this is talking about, is they believe that God will say yes to you and no to you, and you think you're a Christian. You think you're saved. You believe in everything that the Bible says. You have your faith in Christ, and then God is somehow going to tell you at the end, nope, sorry, you weren't elect. Go ahead and get away from me. No, that's not going to happen. The only people he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, are to those who 
blatantly never believed and those who believed falsely. Now, I know some people might get in their heads, be like, what if I believe falsely? Go back to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. If you believe in your heart that God, uh, that Christ, sorry, I messed it up, but Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. If you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. You are saved. That's the simplest, most easy explanation of the gospel we have. If you believe that, and it is 100% true in your heart, you are saved. You are chosen. You are elect. Now, because we wrap our heads around some of these words, let's go ahead and take a look at them. First one we'll take a look at is for no, or some translations say for new. Now, what does this mean? Well, in the original language, it means to know beforehand. So God knew beforehand. This word is usually the center of debate when a lot of, you know, quote-unquote Calvinists and Arminiists are debating. If you didn't realize, I'm not a huge Christian label fan, but that's what they refer to themselves as. And when they debate, a lot of the debate revolves around the word foreknow. What does foreknow mean? And it means to know beforehand. Well, that's not deep enough for some people, so they need to dig in even more. So some will try and say, that this means God looked down the corridors of time, saw that some people would believe in him, and because he saw that you made the choice to believe that you would be saved. Now, this sounds legit in our Western minds, but we have to remember, just like we talked about last week, the re- we need to realize that the word no means something a lot different than how we use it in the English language. Let me give you an example once again, and I'm going to use the same example I used last week. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, this is Jesus talking, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out many demons, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess to them, depart from me, I never knew you, ye that worketh iniquity, or you who practice lawlessness, depending on which translation you're reading from. I kind of did a quasi there, because I got the King James in front of me right now, but I usually memorize this out of the NASB. Anyways, side note over, key word is here, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, obviously, Jesus knows who these people are. God knows all of us in the sense that he's aware of all of us. He knows every detail of our lives. It's kind of like you know John down the street in a way. You know who he is. He's been there for like two, three years. You see him all the time. You see him working on his car. You know John. That's not the type of know or knew that is being said here. This is talking about an intimate relationship. So you can almost, and I'm not trying to change the Bible here, but you can almost read it as this, depart from me, I never had a relationship with you. Kind of hits a little bit different that way. Now, I don't want you to think I changed scripture. I'm not changing scripture. Read it the way it's supposed to be read. I'm just trying to give you a different paraphrase to think about it. So the word know or knew here means an intimate knowledge, a relationship. We also see this in Matthew chapter 1, 23 through 25, another example I used last week. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. 
and he called his name Jesus. He knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son, because Mary had other kids after that. Joseph, you know, for all intents and purposes, consummated that marriage with Mary. He knew her eventually. So even even if you are of the Catholic belief and you believe Mary remained a virgin, which I highly, 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 highly doubt, because Jesus had brothers and sisters, and I know they have excuses for that, but anyways, <laughs> uh, it says here, he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Know or knew means here an intimate relationship, and specifically here this is talking about a sexual relationship, an intimate sexual relationship between a husband and wife. So as I said, you will see, brothers and sisters, that if anyone ever tries to tell you the lie that you can lose your salvation, the free gift of salvation, you can tell them that it is impossible because God knew you before the very foundations of the world. Now I want to go into Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, actually, chapter 1 through 3 is really good and full of the most comforting verses of all the Bible, but we don't got the time for that. But I'll just read you the first 13 verses of chapter 1, and I'm not going to stop and explain. I just want to read it to you and let you understand and see this, because I, I don't know how you can get any other interpretation out of this besides the one we've been talking about. And it brings immense amount of comfort to me. And I hope it does the same for you, because that's why this section was written. It was meant to bring comfort to the believers at the church in Ephesus. Starting at verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us acceptable in the Beloved. In him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both that which are in heaven and that are on the earth in him. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worked all things together, who worked all things, sorry, according to the counsel of his will, and that we who first trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In him also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I don't know what somebody who rejects the doctrine of election and who rejects the doctrine of eternal security, perseverance of the saints, as some would call it, I don't understand how you can try to combat this verse, and I welcome anybody to try to do this, but the words of Jesus are plain. 
you have to do some serious twisting here to get out of it that, no, we chose our own salvation, and yes, we can lose that salvation. There's so many other verses that I can go to, especially the book of John, other places in Romans. We're not going to go there today because we don't have the time. And like I said, I've done episodes on eternal security and election, if you want to look for those to go a little bit more in depth. But I just don't understand how someone can sit here, read this, and come out, yep, I can still lose my salvation. We know now that God has known every believer from the very foundations of the world and that he works all things for our good. I mean, can it get any better than this? And yes, it does. Go back to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. So not only did God foreknow you, he also predestinated you to be conformed to the image of of his son, so that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is talking about sanctification. This is talking about sanctification and glorification. I don't know how anyone can ever argue over losing your salvation after reading this. And if this wasn't it, these next words in verse 31 really seal the deal in my mind. Moreover, whom he did predestine, them he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What are we going to say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? I want to point out two things in this verse. One is the word predestinate. This word means to foreordain, to predetermine, or to mark out beforehand in the Greek. I don't know how you, you can get predestined means God looked down the corridors of time, saw we believe, and then he predestined us. Out of that. It means to foreordain, predetermine, and mark out beforehand. The very fact of the matter is that if you believe in Christ, then this means that you are chosen by God. Number two, look at the word called, justified, and glorified. All of these words are past tense, not just in our English language, but when we look in the Greek. Now, some of you might see that and be like, okay, wait, hold, hold up a second here, Brother Tim. I, I know I'm called. I know I'm justified. I ain't glorified yet. Then you're right. You, you're not glorified yet, in a sense. This happens after we receive our resurrected body and we are with Christ. And yes, you're absolutely right. But in God's eyes, it is already done. When Christ said, it is finished, it was all finished. It was finished before the very foundations of the world, technically. Because when God said, this is going to happen, it's going to happen. There was no scheme of man or the devil that could ever thwart what God was doing. It's as good as done. Lastly, as we close out, I'll just say this. Uh, I'm not so much of a person where I can admit, hey, there's a lot of passages, Tim, that talk about, you know, seek and you will find, or, uh, you know, everyone likes to throw out the John 3.16, whosoever believes, all these different things. I am not claiming that we have zero responsibility to confess Christ as Lord. I'm not denying that whatsoever. Every single person is responsible for that, and they will be held accountable on their decision. But you cannot ignore the very fact that God in the Bible clearly says that he chooses whom will believe. So how do we reconcile these two? Well, I don't. 
I don't reconcile it. I admit that, hey, there are things that I just don't understand. If anybody seeks after God, they're going to be saved. God, Jesus even said it. If you seek, you will find. So if you seek after God, you're going to find him. If you hear the gospel and opens up your heart and you believe, then you're saved. And like I said before, that means you are also elect. These are truths that some people would look at the outside and say that you're contradicting yourself. You're contradicting yourself, Tim. And I'm absolutely not. I may not fully understand this. I may not be able to fully explain it. And I honestly doubt there is any theologian out there who knows how to fully understand and explain the doctrine of election, regardless of which side of the table they lie on. But at the end of the day, I read it in the Bible, I trust it, and I believe it. And that's what we as Christians need to continue doing. Read it, trust it, believe it, pray for understanding, pray for wisdom, pray that God opens our hearts and minds. But there are some things, just as we said in the very beginning, it's like we're looking in a mirror dimly because of this fallen flesh, because of our finite mind. Some things are going to be tough to understand. I mean, even Peter wrote that about Paul's writings. He said, Paul writes some things that are hard to be understood. (laughs) And ain't that the truth? Just like it says in the book of Romans, for who can know the mind of God or who can be his counselor? We don't know everything that there is to know about God, nor do we need to. But we do need to understand that salvation is a work of God. And we are forever secure in him. With all that being said, I'm sure you may have a lot more questions if you've never come across this than you did answers today. But trust me, study this stuff. Study yourself approved. Go into your Bible. Read the passages we talked about. Read them even more in context. Read the entire chapter. Read the entire book itself. Gain a better understanding for yourself. Because honestly, I could sit here and talk all day long, but it's something that God needs to open your heart to and you understand when you read it and when you see it for yourself. With all that being said, I'm going to go ahead and close out here. And if you do have any questions, though, once again, by all means, open invitation, hit me up, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those crazy social medias that we got nowadays, but it does make contact very easy. You can write us on there. You can send us a message or you can send us an email, ibnwpodcast at gmail.com. That's ibnwpodcast at gmail.com. All right. I'll talk to y'all later. And thank you for listening to this very intense and very meaty episode. Y'all have a wonderful one. See you next week.